listeners to know that the information provided during the program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult with your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. As a mom with firsthand experience, the opinions expressed in this episode are those of my own and do not reflect the views of Providence. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, Julie Alexandria here, your host for the Do Tell Mama podcast, and welcome to another episode. My guest today is Courtney Avery. She is a birth doula yoga instructor and the creator of Intimate Health Yoga. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, such a pleasure. Thank you. Now, you and I worked together during my pregnancy, just about a week before I gave birth. Yeah. I found you through some mutual friends, and I followed you on Instagram, which, by the way, if you want to give Courtney a follow, you can find her at Intimate Health Yoga on Instagram. So with my Master's of Public Health, one summer while I was in that degree program, I took a yoga teacher training, and I really did it for selfish reasons, but I found that teaching yoga was one of the most effective ways to teach people about their bodies. Um, In health education, we kind of struggle with behavior change, right? So... How can you convince someone that eating a certain way or doing movements is beneficial for them? And the answer is to make them feel it. So with yoga, I was able to practice that feeling and that body awareness to implement the right health education. So I decided to combine that for my capstone project. And I went to Panama and worked with an indigenous tribe there and taught them health education using yoga for fitness and body awareness. And it was really incredible because it tied together more of the conventional, do this, don't do that, and then also feel this. Where are you feeling your stress? Where are you feeling your emotions? Can you do a physical exercise to release that? So it was really incredible and um, I got a grant for it, I won an award, and I just thought what an amazing model that I can implement in other cultures especially ours. Um, So fast forward, I moved to California. I specialized in prenatal yoga mostly, Um, became a birth doula. I was working at a women's health resource center managing that. And what is a birth doula? Just to kind of share that because I don't know that a lot of people know exactly what a birth doula does. True. So a birth doula supports a birthing couple or a birthing family through birth, through education, comfort, and coaching. So an easy way to remember it is that we're hands-on, not hands-in. So we're there to support the mother and the father and (laughs) the baby and the family through that process, which is, as you know, a transformational and very raw experience. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you made a house call for us. You came over to our house and you helped uh, Jeremy, my husband, you helped us both sort of learn some exercises and learn some different pressure points that he could use on me to sort of ease the pain of labor and to kind of, you sort of taught him that lower back massage would help and you Mm -hmm. showed me different positions to get into while laboring that could ease some of the tension and some of the weight as well, which was really awesome and all fine and good when I was like not in labor. <laughs> and then of course, of course, uh, the labor happens and, and everything uh, went out the window for me personally, just because it, all the contractions came so hard and fast. But what I loved about our session was that 
you taught me so much about that process and what happens to your body and what is happening to your body through the labor process mm-hmm. and those different pressure points. So just really so interesting and, and also wonderful from a holistic approach, which I think gave me a lot of comfort because as someone who had a bit of a fear of hospitals going into the whole thing, mm-hmm. it really let me know that, hey, this is some comfort and some help that my husband, a familiar face, a very familiar face, can provide me in that moment. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think that's one of my favorite things about being a birth doula is being able to help the partner help the birthing partner because there's so many times where I see the that partner just kind of freeze in that moment because they don't know what to do. They don't, they can't empathize with that pain. They can't um, really relate to what's happening in the body and they just freeze. Like, I don't know what to do. The birthing partner gets mad and it's just from there, it's birthing partners alone. So I really love to empower that partner to really step in and help and giving them tangible like, hey, hold her hand squeeze here, push here, don't talk right now, but talk after the contraction. Just little things like that make a huge difference. Are you there present for the birth? Do you go into the hospital or to the birthing center with the couple? Yes, yes. So typically, if I'm on call for a birth, I'll show up at their house during the first signs of labor, and then we'll go to the birth center or the hospital together. How many have you done? I've done six now. It's not my primary focus, but I just love it. All right, well, let's get to your primary focus. What are you focused on right now? So right now, it's really about education. For me, I think that education is empowerment and awareness is prevention. So the more I can educate people like you going into that completely foreign world, I think the better I can prepare them for those changes. So I focus on just educating people what to expect about their own bodies. Um, You'd be surprised how much we don't know about our own anatomy, especially females, especially in the pelvic floor. Um, So I'm really focused on education before you really need to um, do any damage control. Um, I think I actually know a lot of women who aren't really even aware of those muscles until they start pushing, which is scary because how are you going to consciously control those muscles if you've never even thought of them before? So for me, I think that work is super important. Well, you mentioned pelvic floor. That's a term that I don't think I heard of until about maybe two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I had heard about it because a friend of mine had cancer, Mm -hmm. had to have a hysterectomy at a very early age, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, and had some lasting effects and then had to go see a pelvic floor therapist and I never heard I said well what is that and she's like oh it's you know sort of continuing to help me with the muscles and stuff and then about a year later I got pregnant and then I had heard a little bit about the pelvic floor muscles but my doctor never brought it up nobody had ever said this is something you should be aware of this is something you should work on and it really didn't hit me until after so what, are, what is the pelvic floor? Explain to us what exactly that is and how does it come into play when a woman gets pregnant and sort of throughout the pregnancy and postpartum? Yes, so the pelvic floor is a group of muscles and connective tissue that support the entire torso. So it spans from the pubic bone in the front to the tailbone in the back and then both of the hips, so both of the sits bones. Um, so 
if you look at a skeleton, you can see that there's there's no bones supporting the bottom of the torso mm -hmm. besides these, this muscle group. So just that alone, that's a huge job that those muscles do. It supports your entire being, mm. right? So whether you're trying to deliver a baby or not, you need to be aware that those muscles are supporting you up. In men and women. Exactly. It's like a basket. Yep. It's like a basket at the bottom. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, like, I like to um, think of it actually as a hammock. Oh, a hammock. That's a great... That's a great analogy. Yeah. It's good visual. Yeah, right? So so imagine this hammock, mm -hmm. and you want it to be strong enough where it's supporting your organs. So the main organs are the reproductive organs and the excretory organs. So where you pee, the bladder, mm -hmm. where you poo, the rectum, and then in females, the vagina, and in males, the penis. Mm -hmm. So when we think about the pelvic floor, we need to think of strong, healthy, and balanced. Because if that hammock, so think of a hammock that's really weak. Right. The hammock's gonna sag to the floor and those organs are gonna fall down. They're not supported. This is prolapse, right? So prolapse is when those organs start to um, fall literally out of the body and they start to sag because they're not supported by that muscle group. Wait, fall out of the body? Yeah. What do you mean fall out of the body? So. <laughs> it sounds so terrible. It does sound scary, but um, so the pelvic floor supports the openings of right. the organs. So actually, right now, um, you can squeeze your vagina shut, mm -hmm. like you're stopping your pee. Yep. Right. So just that action. Those are kegels, right? The kegel exercises. That's actually just engaging the first layer of the pelvic floor. Okay. So there's the squeezing, okay. and then there's the lifting. Yep. I just did it. <laughs> I saw her. I saw her lift up a little She's bit seen, in her yes. seat. <laughs> For those of you who can't see us, nobody can see us. This is a podcast. I just sat yeah. up a little bit, and I can't really see anything down there, but I can <laughs> see your posture change. Yeah. So that is a kegel, that lifting up. Okay. So that's called the levator ani muscles and the pubococcygeus muscles. So those are the second layer. They're more internal, and those are the muscles that push the baby out. Mm -hmm. So um, full range of motion in that muscle group would be the ability to push out or bear down, and then pull up and relax. Nobody ever told me about the pull up. I know, I, <laughs> me neither. I, I'm, I'm so confused because when you're in that moment, when and for anyone who's had a baby, I mean, not that you remember basically anything, but <laughs> I do remember, you know, when you're in that moment of pushing, like you're, you're just trying to push. Mm -hmm. it, you're not sort of thinking about, okay, push from this angle or then pull up. I mean, I was just pushing as if I had to go to the bathroom. I mean, that's yes. how you end up pushing. And that's it. That's exactly what that does. Mm -hmm. So you're doing it right. But there are some people who in that moment will think that they're pushing out, but they're actually doing a Kegel and they're lifting up. Uh -huh. So until you actually create that mind-body awareness to consciously control those muscles, you could be doing, I don't want to say more harm than good, but it could be not progressing labor as you need to. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And the only person who would really know that is the mother themselves. Mother themselves and a good doctor or nurse okay. will be able to tell you by just looking at what's happening with the head and the baby and the contractions. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what, what can happen? 
I guess you, you were talking about the organs falling out of the body. It I know, that so sounds scary. really scary. It sounds terrible. But, but that happens if the pelvic floor is compromised. Yes. So birth specifically. After childbirth, your pelvic floor muscles go through a lot. They're pushing the baby out. Um, about 80% of women in the United States experience tearing. Tearing can cause urinary incontinence in the future because that compromises the muscles a ton and they're going to become weak. Mm. So until you start physical therapy after birth, your muscles are still going to be a little bit traumatized physically and mentally, emotionally. And that's something that I don't think a lot of mothers, a lot of women think about is PT after birth. First of all, who has time for it? Because mm-hmm. you've got a newborn at home who needs your, you know, every ounce of energy and attention. And I guess that's just something that kind of falls through the cracks with our healthcare system. Absolutely. So as a public health nerd myself, I'm really passionate about the infrastructure of our health system. Mm-hmm. So interestingly enough, in France, the government for decades now has a subsidized program for women after birth. So at six weeks, they go for their checkup with their OBGYN, and the OBGYN basically says, okay, the tearing's healed, the vagina's healed, you know, there's no lacerations, there's nothing wrong with this, the tissue, then automatically they refer you to a pelvic floor physical therapist. It's part of their system. It's just built in, it's, it's what they do. Here in the US, this is pretty much out of the scope of practice of most OBGYNs. They're really focused on the health of the uterus, the health of the organs, not so much the health of the muscles and the tissue. So they see that the scar tissue is healing and they're like, great, job's done, awesome. They're not gonna be the ones to recommend you to a pelvic floor physical therapist necessarily, unless you've got a good one that's kind of trained in that and knows that, or they think that this is a major problem let's refer you to someone else that can help. So, you know, the people who might have some tears, nothing major, they still need help. They still need support. Mm -hmm. So it's really up to us in the U.S. to ask to see a pelvic floor physical therapist because they're the ones that are specifically going to look at those muscles and make sure that they're healthy again. Have there always been pelvic floor therapists around and we just haven't heard of them? Yes growing in numbers recently because we're realizing that this is a huge issue. Um, urinary, How did we realize that it's a huge issue? Because it seems like something that's been going on for so long. So um, urinary incontinence. So that means when you can't hold your pee in. Mm-hmm. We've normalized it as a society. It's common. It shouldn't be normal, right? So I, I know there's, you know, there's depends. There's companies that make everything imaginable like pads that are sexy so that if you pee when you sneeze laugh jump run you're protected Mm -hmm. but they're not going after the prevention part because prevention might not lead to the money that you're making when you're having a reconstructive surgery and we saw a huge lawsuit with the pelvic mesh right The, Mm -hmm. the mesh that was sort of put in place. I remember seeing those ads where if you had a you know pelvic bladder mesh or something like that put in, then there was a lawsuit because it was defective. Yes, yeah, it's scary. So um, to repair urinary incontinence, they put a mesh to support the pelvic floor muscle around the urethra where the pee comes out. Uh-huh. 
So it's basically using a synthetic wall to stop that pee so that when you do engage your muscles, you're able to stop it instead of actually retraining your muscles to their full potential. You have a synthetic wall. Is it correctable? Can you retrain the muscle? It depends on every case. Mm -hmm. I would say for the majority of the cases, yes, to a certain extent. But I'm not a trained physical therapist and I'm not a doctor, so I can't really make those claims. <laughs> but do you see a lot of people that have gone through it have success? Yes, okay. absolutely. The big thing is that it takes time. And time, when you have a newborn, is so hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah. And um, also in the U.S., I read another statistic that one in four women return to work after two weeks of having birth. So how are you going to have time to do exercises for your pelvic floor when you're back at work and caring for a baby? Wait, two weeks after giving birth? That's the average in the U.S.? One in four women will return to work within two weeks. Oh, my gosh. I mean, and, and that's obviously without a maternity leave package, mm -hmm. which you only see in corporate America. Yeah. I mean, if you are working retail at the mall, mm -hmm. there's no maternity package. Yeah. We're one of the worst countries when it comes to maternal health. It's really sad. And, and mm -hmm. I know that you have practiced in other countries with intimate health and public health. Courtney, why as a nation have we not figured this out? Birth is so natural. It's a natural part of the human experience. Why are there so many complications? So I think, from my opinion, in the U.S., we put a lot of weight on medical practices. So it could be more efficient to, looking at statistics, reduce pain via epidural. Big fan, by the way. Yeah. Big yeah. fan of the epidural. Mm -hmm. I mean, changed my life. In yeah, that absolutely, totally. And I held out a long time. Yep, yep. To seven centimeters, thinking I could do this. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, but why? Yes. <laughs> and I know, and I, and I know that that's probably not what you would do in that same scenario. I don't want to say that. But you don't know. I don't know. Don't know. I've never had a baby. Yeah. And um, I think it's so it's important to have the choice. Yeah. But because of all the medical interventions we have in place, like we've made hospitals a place for birth. Mm -hmm. So medical interventions, they're shorter, right? So instead of you laboring at home for like four days, you're going to go get an epidural so you can progress without stressing your body so much. So in your case, it helped you a lot. But if we're not thinking more holistically of how we can kind of elongate this experience, so... Um, you know, other countries give moms a year of maternal leave. So that is time before and time after to adjust. But, I mean, when did you stop working? I filmed for ESPN. I did three shows in their L.A. studio on a Monday, and I gave birth on a Thursday. Exactly. <laughs> but, 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 to, okay, but that was also my choice. I'm a freelancer, Absolutely. so I don't work in corporate America. I have no paid maternal leave, mm -hmm. um, and neither does my husband. We're both independent contractors. We both work for ourselves. I've always been a freelancer. I've never had an office job, and so to me, a bunch of jobs sort of perked up right towards the end of my pregnancy, and I thought, well, I better do them now, and, and 
get them in now because I don't know the next time I'm going to be able to work. I don't know what my body's going to be like. I don't know where my mind's going to be like. I don't know, you know, what state I'm going to be in. And it's a sad truth that when you work in TV, it is image-based, a lot of it. And so I was very um, ravenous when it came to collecting those jobs. So yes, I was working right up until my due date. Mm -hmm. And then when did you go back to work? Oh gosh, I went back to work. I would say seven, at seven seven months later. That's amazing. Yeah, but but that's also because I took myself out of I, I basically what we call booking out in our industry. So mm-hmm. I, I booked myself out. So there was awesome. <laughs> there was no work that I was taking because I had such a long and arduous recovery. Um, mentally and physically after having Kingston that I needed to take that time and there was no way that I could be on live TV um, reading off a teleprompter talking about sports or Mm -hmm. entertainment when I was so far gone (laughs) down the rabbit hole. (laughs) Absolutely. But it's incredible how certain countries, tell, tell me about other countries that really sort of take into consideration all of those variables. Um, I would say France is number one. We look to them a lot for that. And they will have maternal and paternal leave, which is huge. We've started to see that here. Yes. A little bit. Google. I think Google is one of those companies that has good maternal and paternal leave. Um, But there's other countries that really try, I think Sweden and Switzerland, um, are trying to move birth into a birth center or at least a part of the hospital that's separate from the rest, Mm -hmm. that has all the support and everything. Um, I think a big misconception with birth centers, especially in the US, it's kind of, I don't wanna say taboo, but it's a little like woo woo. Um, People don't like trust it as much, but I think it's important to note that these people are highly trained and they all have access to ambulances that will bring them to the hospital if anything goes wrong, right? So it's almost this reframing of it's not a medical emergency until it has to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can depend on doulas and midwives to deliver the baby, whether it be pain assisted or not. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I really do think that, um, any kind of medicated birth is it's beautiful. It's a birth. And if it helps the mom release a little bit of that stress, that's going to help the baby come out, not adding more stress because there's some crazy expectation that she has to go unmedicated, which I wish some of my more alternative moms would agree with that. Like you said, epidural is a great thing. It's a great thing. Take the epidural. Oh my gosh. There are no medals given out. There's no medals. There's some news for you. Once Mm -hmm. you have that baby, that's your medal. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's your it. reward. Yes. That's your trophy. Yes. I want to talk to you about how age comes into play with this. And it is kind of a, a hot button topic between me and, and my personal circle of friends. I'm from New York. A lot of my girlfriends, including myself, really waited a longer time, I think, than most to A, settle down and B, decide to have kids. And I truly think that part of my difficulties in laboring and in the birthing process and also in the healing process had to possibly do with my age because I saw the girls on 16 and pregnant do it <laughs> and they look fine. They look great. They're walking. So there's that. I couldn't walk for two months after having a baby. And I looked at them and I'm like, wow, you're 16. Of course. That. 
Um, I would say, I mean, think of, take, forget birth, any surgery, any injury, any recovery is going to be easier when you're a kid, <laughs> like straight up. Sure. That's it. Makes sense. So um, I, I have the same belief as you. Um, I don't plan on having a baby anytime soon, and I'm 29. Um, and I'm not one to say like, oh, everyone should have babies early, mm-hmm. because let's be real. Like, I'm not ready, and I know a lot of my friends, same situation, are not looking to do that. However, physically speaking, statistically speaking, young, the younger you are, the less chance of medical intervention that you're going to have. And that is the truth. It's the truth. That is the truth, and you can't argue with that. And I understand that everyone, you know, that women want to get their careers, and I love that, and I am the biggest proponent of that, of women being independent and you know, amassing a certain amount of success, whether it be fiscally or emotionally or, you know, physically, whatever it is, before settling down and really giving all of that to your baby. Because once you do have a baby, it's not about you anymore. And Mm -hmm. I really learned that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I learned that. I learned it. I learned it. I learned it every day. I continue to learn it. But it's just one of those things where our society, and I was talking to a doctor, actually, Dr. LeGru, uh, who's affiliated um, at Providence St. Joseph Health, Dr. LeGru, and he was saying to me that, you know, women should have babies younger. And I thought, well, how can you say that? But then he followed up with the comment, which I thought was so smart, which is that society here in America should make it easier for women to have babies earlier in life and then be able to catch up with the career that they've always wanted. Absolutely. I think in the same breath of we should have babies earlier, I think we should take advantage of the systems we have in place and the medical interventions that we have in the U.S. and use that to our advantage so that when you do want to have a baby in your late 30s, you're supported and you've built that financial stability to hire a public floor physical therapist right after birth and to take enough time off to heal and to come into your body again. So I think it's, you know, in the same light of, you know, I want to wait to have a baby, but it's going to be harder on my body. You can do the work to prepare because we do have the support here in America. Yeah, we we absolutely do. And the pelvic floor therapist, I personally, if you have a name of one, I need to go see one. (laughs) I've got two amazing girls. Yeah, so good. And and so what is what does that entail? So what is that appointment like? What goes down in an appointment for pelvic PT therapy? So you typically go in, and for the first session, you might just talk about what you're experiencing, and they might do an external exam. They do an internal exam where they will insert a finger into the vagina and see what's going on. So what's really important is that they're checking the muscle tone, mm. and they have worked with a lot of other people that they can compare. So when you do the same thing yourself and you're, I'm doing Kegels, I must be doing it right. You don't really have that awareness because you're not comparing your vagina to hundreds of others. They are. (laughs) So they'll be able to tell you, okay, the left side of your pelvic floor is a little tighter than your right, which happens. Um, Maybe okay, I feel scar tissue from the birth and we're going to have to massage this area. You can do this at home. Here's how you do it. And this muscle is also really tense. So let's work on relaxing this muscle so we can strengthen again. It's almost just like a regular 
physical therapy appointments. Exactly. I mean, whether it be your back muscles or exactly. arm ligaments, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Wow. How long does the healing process take for, like, let's say, worst case scenario? I mean, how many visits do you need to heal? So it obviously depends on every person, but it's not a short process. Um, the French government, I, they say usually about two months um, of seeing a coach, a pelvic floor coach, every week. Wow. Um, I've read that the pelvic floor will rehabilitate within six months to 12 months after giving birth. So that's a long time. This isn't like a quick fix. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say it takes, you would start seeing results after about three to four weeks of doing regular exercises. I read something that said that women really need 12 months, a year, mm-hmm. to recover from having a baby. Absolutely, absolutely. And especially with um, the hormone relaxin, which is pumped through your body during pregnancy, and what that does is it literally relaxes the tissues, the ligaments, the cartilage, so that it's making space in the pelvis for the baby to pass through. So this is actually why you get SI joint pain, um, because the sciatic joint doesn't really, it doesn't move in a normal person, mm-hmm. but it's a lot more mobile when the relaxin kicks in, and then you start getting sciatic nerve pain, because it's moving and pinching those nerves. When you're pregnant. Exactly. Right. But the thing that they don't talk about, and there's more studies going into this now, they're seeing that relaxin is in the body throughout the entirety of breastfeeding and can be in your body for up to a year after breastfeeding, I think it was just recently. Um, so that's, that's in your body, and that's literally changing you physically. It actually gives you lower blood pressure because your blood volume increases a lot when you're pregnant, like 30 to, I think around 30% it increases. Um, so you're gonna feel all those symptoms after birth, which it takes a while to come back to normal. So it's just important to remember like everything is different after birth and it takes a while to get back to it. So my biggest thing is patience. Don't rush it, enjoy this time, use it to slow down and soften and spend time with your baby. It's so hard because we see all of these photos on social media of celebrities they're just like us and they snap back so fast and they're already back to being a size zero after having a baby and they're in a bikini aren't they cute (laughs) and I think there is this sort of unrealistic expectation of where our bodies where our minds where our hearts should be as women after having a baby absolutely and even even the postpartum landscape I mean we we just started hearing about this, at least for myself. I only started hearing about it when Brooke Shields spoke out about it. Mm, yeah. And that was maybe five, six years ago. Yeah. I mean, not that long ago. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's really, um, it's easy, especially with social media and the way we live, to just compare, compare, compare. Mm-hmm. But everybody is different. Every birth is so different. Every mom's experience postpartum is going to be completely different. So it's really just staying in tune with your own body and checking in. Yeah, and I know that that's one of the things that you preach. Yes, always. (laughs) (laughs) And tell me about what you are doing now as far as where your interests and where are you focusing on right now? So I'm creating this online yoga studio so that moms, I think that was one of the hardest thing was getting people, especially new moms, 
to a yoga class and I'm like, listen, it's been six weeks after you've given birth, you're cleared for exercise or just movement and awareness. So let's get this going. But they can't leave their baby. They've got like five minutes maybe to do anything. Geared my yoga studio to reach those women who have maybe five, 10 minutes during their day and they can do something at home. So you've created a virtual postnatal yoga studio. So yes, prenatal, postpartum, and just to become more aware of these muscles. Because on the other hand of, on the other spectrum of childbirth is pleasure. So pelvic floor muscles, the two muscle, the muscle group that lifts, um, that also pushes the baby out, those muscles contract during an orgasm and it brings blood flow to the vagina and increases sensation. So there's studies that show stronger pelvic floor muscles can lead to more satisfying sexual experiences. So stronger orgasms, multiple orgasms, and just increased pleasure in general. Mm -hmm. So it's so important to know these muscles and feel them within your body. So what we haven't talked about is tense pelvic floor. So that's also another huge thing, whether you've experienced birth or not. Um, do you get tension in your body, like shoulders? Sure. Oh, yeah. Same thing in your pelvic floor. If you're getting tension there and you're not releasing that tension with a massage or stretching or relaxing, that can just become chronic pain. So on the other hand of weak pelvic floor muscles on this end of the spectrum, we have tight pelvic floor muscles, which can cause just a series of issues like constipation and pain during sex and difficulty achieving orgasm because there's no strengthening and releasing, which we need both of. We need full range of motion. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of education about that in the yoga studio. I have a workshop specifically for pelvic floor awareness, um, and that's whether you're having a baby or not. And this is virtual. So people can virtual. just log on and they can say, all right, these are the questions that I need to ask myself. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And you are traveling a lot as well. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. You've got a fun little adventure going on. Yeah. So my boyfriend and I just bought a Sprinter van and we are building it um, and going traveling for a few months, at least. We don't really have a plan. Just going to travel and see what happens. That is the most millennial thing <laughs> I've ever heard anyone say. I was just going to give you a plate of avocados <laughs> right now. <laughs> I know I'm doing that. I have to admit, that's it. No, it's amazing. <laughs> and it's so funny because here in San Diego, I've been seeing so many sprinter vans. Oh, my God. I mean, so, so many. I have a friend named Brent Rose who's a writer, and he is the first person I knew that did this about three years ago. And he told me, I'm getting this van. It's a Mercedes. <laughs> and I'm going to live in it. And I'm like, wait, What? why and he's like because I can travel and I can there's a campsite in Malibu and I can have beachfront living that I'd never be able to afford and I was like well that actually sounds pretty smart <laughs> and you can always tell one of these I'm gonna just call them millennial sprinter vans because I know what you do I, I'm kidding I'm a millennial I'm just an old millennial. I get it girl it's fine I'm an old I millennial. own it <laughs> you own it and I love it you can always tell when it's like one of these young couples that are so cute and they're like living in one is because they have bikes attached if you see a sprinter van with bikes do you have bikes attached to yours not yet you're gonna get them though definitely that was next step where do we put them i've seen them on the back I've seen them on the oh, front oh thanks but uh, but that is so cool and 
And tell me about your your practice as far as like if you could go to any, I'd say, to experience what the birthing process culturally is like in any culture, which one would you be most interested in sort of doing research in? Oh, um, I've done work, let's see, South Africa, Mexico, and Panama. Those are my main places where I've done work on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, Fascinating to see birth culture in rural South Africa, um, where they're told, be quiet, you're going to be alone in this room. They basically drop the moms off in the ward. They give birth without a sound. I was there for actually my first birth ever was a 17-year-old girl delivering in rural South Africa. The nurses said, please be quiet. You're bothering the other patients here. And she gave birth just like that. And I stood by her side the whole time, holding her hand, massaging her hips, because no one else was doing it. There's a huge... Now, this might sound like scary and uh, lonely, but honestly, I think the culture there is this is normal, this is natural, and it's going to happen. So, 16 and pregnant, she had a baby, and she walked out that day. Um, I would say there's fear around birth in the U.S., and in other countries, it's more of a this is what it is. My mouth, my jaw is on the floor. The whole silent birth thing, I've heard about this when it came to like Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes Uh, because he insisted that she have a silent birth. What? Yeah, this goes back to my entertainment reporting who are going to pull out an oldie but goodie. (laughs) So this is back to like the Oprah jumping on the couch days. Remember when he was like so so excited about Katie Holmes? So they had their daughter Suri and he's a Scientology member. Mm -hmm. And so he said that this um, little girl had to be brought into the world with a silent birth because they believed that um, a child who was brought in with screaming or any sort of stress, it would affect the child negatively. And so the child is supposed to be brought into the world in the most gentle way possible. Um, (laughs) I I don't know. I'm laughing. I know. It's something that I think a lot of society kind of uh, looked at as being very strange, but this is the first I've heard of it in South Africa, a silent birth. Yeah, and, it, and you know, it could just be because the maternity ward was busy that day, and they didn't want her to be loud, right? Okay, so this was a specific case, or this is specific, just sort of overall expectations? Specific case, but I would say overall expectations is more, you have a baby, and it's going to be okay. And it doesn't have to be this major scream fest, dramatic. Um, I've, I had just, coming from America, that was all I knew mm-hmm. until I went to other countries. And it is quick, in, out. This is what you're expected to do, and that's it. Which I don't know if that's good or not. I'm not saying this is better. I'm just saying birth culture in different countries is so different. So different. And I'm so curious to know how different and sort of what the practices are and sort of an overall comprehensive. And that's why I was so interested in talking to you about this because how it differs. And now how did Panama differ from South Africa? So Panama, I, I was in a different area called the San Blas Islands and it's an indigenous area. It's semi-autonomous. So they have their own rules and regulations. Um, but it's an island, it's an archipelago of islands. So their birthing culture, way different than the mainland Panama, 
birthing culture, which is um, they actually joke that they know the Gunas. They're called the Guna Indians. They know the Gunas giving birth in the Panamanian hospitals when they're not saying anything and they just birth quickly and quietly, which is so interesting, right? Another case of like, this is what you do. It comes out. We're done. Which, again, I don't fully agree with, but in their culture, birth is way different. Um, They also, when they give birth on the island, there's more of a ceremony part of it. So um, they have a shaman. I don't want to say, they're not really called shamans in that culture, but they're called curanderos, which is like cure, like curers, like medicine men. Um, So... There's typically one outside that sings songs. Yeah, so Lovely. he Yeah, so he sings the birth into existence and he protects the birthing um, hut or tent or wherever they're giving birth. So he sings these songs to call the spirits for guidance and to protect. And then inside the tent is the birth assistant who's doing the birth. Um, so it's, it's really like the whole village is coming together to protect this woman through the journey of birth, which I think is beautiful, right? It's like celebrating that instead of putting that fear in it. Yeah. And it's almost Mm -hmm. like the, that appointed person is giving a blessing over the baby coming into the world and also the Mm -hmm. mother and offering protection. I love that. Exactly. That was beautiful. And I love that it's a community thing mm-hmm. because they always say, and something that I go back to on this podcast is it takes a village and it's so true. And, yes. and that is in its most literal, most quantitative form. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That is it. Yeah, it was beautiful. Wow. Yep. And then your other location was Mexico. Yes. And how did it differ there? So Mexico, I was actually on a research study, which was um, baby fingerprinting, to put simply. So it was a project to fingerprint babies and find a way that we can actually take a viable fingerprint because the footprints and handprints of the hospital are cute, but there's not enough data to actually identify that child throughout their life. But we are working on a technology to actually get a viable fingerprint so we can track them for medical records and vaccines and all these great things. Um, But what I was doing was working in the newborn and maternity unit. Um, wow. Yes. That must have been really interesting. Very eye-opening. I mean, it's a half hour away, and it's a completely different world. Um, How so? So I never actually, I never went to the birthing unit, but I was told that they are all there alone. Again, no support from the family. So they go in. They give birth, and then within an hour or so, they go right up to the recovery unit um, where there's typically between, there's rooms of three in, three beds in one room, and then six beds in one room, Um, and they have visiting hours twice a day. So that's when the family comes to meet the baby. Six in a room. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, that conjures up images of, like, the 1800s and, like, a... I don't know, Florence Nightingale in like a maternity ward or something. Uh Yeah. I mean, here you've got hospitals that mimic hotels. What was the importance of sort of, I guess, recording all of that information when the babies were born as far as the handprints and the fingerprints? So we were actually on the experimental end to see if this is actually going to work 
So we needed numbers and we needed a lot of babies to see if this is going to work. And the goal for this specific project was to use this in resource limited settings. So we can use it in a rural clinic in South Africa where they don't have technology that records the date of birth and the vaccines that this baby got at birth and what the allergies are of the mother. Um, and just the question of who is this baby, mm-hmm. which right now in this world, unfortunately, there's a lot of refugees and a lot of displaced children. So when we're able to identify that baby at birth using their own biology, we can accurately reconnect families. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. How long were you in Mexico doing the work? It was all of last year, January through November. Wow. Uh-huh. And yeah. how did you see the birthing process differ there versus here? Pretty much in every way. Very different. Very different. Um, I would say it kind of goes back to this culture of expectation. Mm-hmm. And as a woman, this is what you do and they are expected to go in to give birth and then leave and they typically leave within six to eight hours after birth do you think and this brings up an interesting point do you think that if that is all we as women felt that was expected of us you you have one job just have the babies do you think it would make birthing easier because our minds wouldn't be stressed about when do i have to go back to work when do I have to show up and play my intramural soccer game? When do I need to go to my best friend's wedding? You know, and all of those other sort of responsibilities that we take on. I don't think it is the only thing we're capable of. Of course, but I'm, yeah. of course not. But oh, I yeah. just wonder if that was the only thing that we really had to worry about. I think, I think our perception would absolutely change. I think as much of a, I really fight for equal rights, of course. And in the same breath, I love that I'm a woman because I go through these changes. Mm-hmm. And instead of in this society putting us down for what we're going through and you know that stigma of, oh, she's just having a baby, she can't work right now instead of you know having that stigma attached if we celebrate that as wow what an amazing feat that you're doing on top of everything else that you're doing take some time this is a big thing Um, I think if we celebrated that polarity of what we're capable of I think the world would change how do we fight that stigma of fear when it comes to having babies at birth because I had so much fear Mm -hmm. so much fear and I don't know if it was that I watched Season one through three of The Handmaid's Tale, right <laughs> in my seventh and eighth month, which, by the way, don't note do that. to self, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. That's my one word of advice. Don't watch Handmaid's Tale when you're pregnant. Um, but how do we alleviate that? How do we fix that? It starts with us. I really believe that change starts with the individual. And look, society is going to tell you otherwise, but stay positive. And that's so much easier said than done obviously Mm -hmm. and I almost like hate myself for saying that but that's really the only way is even if we're faking it inside like saying 
um, I give all my mom's birth mantras. So I am powerful. I am strong. I'm stronger than I even think I am. I can handle this. I'm okay. My baby's healthy. My body's healthy. The list goes on. Like verbally repeating that to yourself in your head constantly, whether you believe it or not, something's going to change and something's going to keep a little glimmer of hope there so that you can get through those hard times because it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not and easy. And nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about it. And mm-hmm. that's what, that's also what made me want to do this podcast because I want to talk about it. And maybe it's unattractive to talk about it. Maybe it's embarrassing to talk about it. Maybe it's, you know, like you said, some people can find it as a weakness, you know, mm-hmm. weak if you can't, you know, support yourself in physically, mentally, emotionally. But it's one of those things. I mean, I went into this whole pregnancy, motherhood thing thinking it would be easy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be easy. Oh, I didn't gosh. know. Yeah. I thought it would be easy because that's all I ever saw was other people did it and they made it seem easy. Yeah. Well, no one's showing, no one's sharing the... um homemade ice packs that they're putting on their vagina after birth, right? They're showing how cute their baby is. Right. Right. That's just... Exactly. just reality. And, you know, I will never look at those royal photos again the same way. Like, you know when they have the first photos of, like, Kate Middleton, Duchess Kate, or (laughs) Meghan Markle most recently, and they come out and they're standing on the steps of the hospital, and they still have a bit of a belly, you know, because, you know, it's maybe two days after, Mm -hmm. and they're leaving the hospital, and they're smiling, and I'm like... Yeah, but guess what's going on with the mesh underwear under that cute dress? Exactly. (laughs) They're not showing the, like, video of, like, sitting down. Sitting down. Something is... Terrible. It's it's terrible. (laughs) It's terrible. How do we introduce our partners to the reality of postpartum and and dealing with all of the physical... We'll keep it at physical for for Mm -hmm. the sake of our conversation, but... All of the physical changes. Um, I would. It's you know every partner's different, obviously, but for me, education is best, and especially when you can educate your partner on how to help, because sometimes just saying like, "Hey, this is happening in my body, help me," blank slate, they're not going to know how to help you. So, asking for support, but specifically, is going to help. Um, and teaching them before the baby comes. So actually I love the practice of a pelvic floor release massage, which is exactly what it sounds like. You know, we go to the massage therapist if our shoulders are really tight, Mm -hmm. but we don't go to the massage therapist when our pelvic floor is really tight. Um, if you've heard of perennial massage before Mm -hmm. birth, um, similar to that, but it's a way to for them to connect with that area of your body and not necessarily in a sexual way, right? So this is like, it's, this is the door where their baby's going to come, right? Right. So getting to know that area and just knowing like, okay, this is what it looks like. This is how I can support you by massaging this area right here. Um, so that after when you're going through, okay, I have a tearing right there, they're actually like able to visualize, okay, like, I know what those muscles feel like. I know that that tearing's probably very painful, mm-hmm. and they can help you a little bit more with that concept. Just have a little more empathy. Yeah. For mm-hmm. what that's like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible what our bodies go through, but at the end of the day, it has really shown me, at least, that the human body is so incredible. 
it's so incredible. It's an incredible machine, and and I call it a machine because it works like one. Mm-hmm. It's almost it's almost inhuman in its most human form. Yes, I honestly that this is why I do what I do because I'm so fascinated by the human body and specifically a female's body and being able to create life and then give birth and then go right back to feeling great again. And, you know, as much as we're like, oh, it takes so long, like you can go back to having a normal life after birthing a child, which in my mind is the biggest miracle there is. So it's really incredible. It just fascinates me. It's so true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's totally, yeah. (laughs) It's mind blowing. No, it totally is that you can go back and you can have um, a regular life and people even do it again. Uh Uh-huh. People have more than one. I love that question when, you know, you have a, you pop out a baby and the first thing people ask you, so are you going to have another one? And I'm like, um, I just got done having this one. By the way, my baby's going to be a year next month. I feel like I just got done having him. (laughs) Because you did. Because I did. (laughs) Because it took this long. I mean, it really has taken a year to heal in so many ways. And, And I think also the sort of change that we go through as women, as new mothers, you're never quite the same. As you were before, I don't. I don't think so, but for good reason. I, I don't mm-hmm. think you can be because you couldn't survive the way you were before. Exactly, and I think it's a that goes with anything in life. You go through an experience, and it changes who you are because you have a different perspective on life. Mm-hmm. So I actually really love that part too of helping that mother through the transformation because, like you said, it's not it's not about me anymore. Um, you know, your life completely changes. So moving through that and then approaching life differently in a way that you're like, yes, okay, my vagina went through a lot. And it's okay that it's not the same like 21-year-old vagina. It's different. Not bad. It's just different. It's just different. Mm -hmm. What's um, some words of advice that you would give to new moms as they start to navigate their bodies and their changing bodies and then advice for once they have their baby? I would say patience, acceptance, and then patience, and then acceptance, and then patience. (laughs) Just keep going. It's a circle. Really? Yeah. Um, And, you know, within within that acceptance, just trying to find joy for where you are in this phase of life, because it really is an incredible gift that you're able to bring life into the world, and really sticking with that especially when your hormones start to tell you otherwise, like, please go eat a gallon of ice cream and cry. Um, Do that. It's fine. (laughs) Accept. And then just come back to finding joy. Like, this is a beautiful thing I'm doing. I'm a big proponent of that, is listen Mm -hmm. to your body. And if, you know, my friends will say, well, I I just ate a pint of ice cream and I'm four months pregnant. I said, well, you probably needed the calcium. Yeah. You probably need the calories. Mm -hmm. Your body will tell you what it needs. Exactly. And if you don't give it what it needs, it will act out. Exactly. Your body's kind of like a child. Yep. (laughs) Yes. It'll throw a fit. Yeah. And it will act out. Absolutely. Um, Where can people find you and keep up with the work that you're doing? So my website is intimatehealthyoga.com. And if they have any questions, they can find you on social media? Yep. My um, Instagram handle is intimatehealthyoga, and I'm on Facebook as well, so... 
I'm always answering a ton of questions and sending videos to people that I don't even know saying, hey, I think this is going to help. Um, I'm just a huge fan of education and movement as medicine. What is the most common question you get? <sighs> I would say recently, um, Recently, the most common question I'm getting is, how do I relax my pelvic floor? Which mm -hmm. I wasn't anticipating. There's um, stress, stress happens. And I think people are finally learning like, okay, number one, what is a pelvic floor? And then I'm stressed out and my body's responding. So that's actually coming a lot. Um, yeah, prenatal and postpartum, people are dealing with tension. Yeah. A lot of stressed people out there. Yeah, tension. Yeah, and fear. You know. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, I think fear leads to stress, and stress leads to fear. I think it's a yep. sort of a circle. Totally. A cycle. And the body just tenses up. So. All right. Well, let's yeah. leave this on a positive note because <laughs> I I love that you have given us of your time today and to share all of this just incredible stories of birth all over. Um, what is something you would like to let people know about the work that you do and I guess just the, the best part of your job that you love the most? I love teaching people about their bodies and teaching them things that they had no idea. Like you said, I didn't even know what the pelvic floor was until a few years ago. Um, I, love, I love teaching people that there's this muscle that you can control that can actually affect the way you experience pleasure and just that little tidbit, it gives people a little bit more control of their lives and experiencing pleasure in every moment, not just during sex. Fantastic. Courtney Avery, thank you so much yeah. for joining me today. And thank you for listening. We will be back with another edition of Do Tell Mama. I'm Julie Alexandria. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening.